Welcome to the February 2020 episode of Jazz Talk Seattle. My name is Josh. And my name is Max. And today we have in our studio... A fantastic drummer. A fantastic drummer. So a fantastic drummer. <laughs> uh, and it's uh, Chris Acasiano. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Welcome, Hi, Chris. Hey. Thanks for having me. We actually haven't had a guest in a couple of months that's been in the studio with us, so it's exciting that my editing process is going to be a lot easier this time than the remote episodes we've had in the past. Oh, yeah. Could probably Happy do an be episode here. on that. <laughs> Nice. So Chris is a fantastic drummer and all-around musician. He went to UW. That's how I know Chris. Uh, he founded Tables and Chairs, a local record label, mm-hmm. and uh, the Racer Sessions, uh, sessions that explore uh, free improvised music. He works at Origin Records. He, you do some work with Earshot too. Is that right? Yeah, I'm on the board of directors at Earshot. On the board of I'm directors the vice at Earshot. Now, actually, <laughs> what's up? I'm the vice president of the board now. No way. Yeah. Okay, uh, and is also one half of the fantastically acclaimed duo Bad Luck with saxophonist and electronics player Neil Welch, and also congratulations on your recent nomination for an Earshot Golden Year Award for Best Alternative Jazz Group of the Year, right? Oh, yeah, thank oh, you. Oh, yeah. I actually didn't know about it until um, a couple days ago. <laughs> I was playing a gig with Marina Christopher, uh-huh. and she mentioned it from the bandstand that we were both nominated. And I was like, what? Did I, you I find out on stage? <laughs> yeah. That's typically how that works. It's really strange how they don't let you know. Yeah. <laughs> but congrats. This is weird. So uh, just before I even ask this question, are you doing anything with KNKX as, as well or or not? Um, it's okay. If not, not at the moment. I don't have okay. anything um, scheduled with them. I was just wondering but. because that's kind of the only uh, other large jazz organization in Seattle that I can think of that you're not involved with. <laughs> yeah. um, how do you... Well, let me preface this by saying that most people find it difficult to be a, maybe an integral part of a lot of different scenes around the, the Seattle jazz scene. Um, how do you find middle ground in that? Because you're an amazing musician, and I feel like you're a pretty integral part of most of the scenes within like the general jazz scene in Seattle, mm-hmm. and even beyond that, actually, maybe in the rock and experimental and other other kinds of scenes as well. But how do you do that? Um, that's a good question. What's your uh, secret? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, is that really, intentional? I th- more more or less. I mean, I I didn't kind of I didn't set out to be someone who was going to be omnipresent in in the scene it was more just that i was really interested in in all of the different aspects of the jazz scene in seattle and also you know the indie rock scene and the diy scene mm-hmm. um so i mean as a you know as a younger person at the UW, i was like always going to the jam sessions always just showing up and participating in things um including uh the ballard jazz festival when that started mm-hmm. up because i when i was at the uw I, I basically i was studying with john bishop who who oh, runs okay. origin records okay. and who also um him and mac jorgensen they both run the ballard jazz festival so as a student um i would just go and i would volunteer uh and show up to all the jazz things like as much as as much as i could absolutely and then meanwhile i mean at the uw i was like uh hanging out with a lot of friends who were also into different kinds of music. Um, so we'd be at, we'd be at house shows. We'd be at cafe racer all the time hearing music. And, um, yeah, I just found a lot of, uh, quality music and, uh, 
interest made really interesting connections in all of those areas. That's awesome. Yeah. Kind of both as an administrator and a, a musician, it seems too. Yeah. I mean, first it was just, I was just showing up to check out music. Um, and it really wasn't until a bit later, um, in my career at the UW when, uh, kind of the the folks I was going to school with decided to do a bit more like organizing um we would put together shows but kind of not you know they'd be fairly informal um and it was kind of at the end of our stay there where we started the racer sessions which was kind of Mm -hmm. our our main like organizing effort of like starting a weekly music series yeah and yeah that was kind of the the catalyst for for everything very cool Cool. So uh, today, Chris joins us because he's putting out a record pretty soon here. I think the official release date is February 29th. Is that right? Um, The show is on the 29th. The the official release is on the 21st. So it'll be available on on all the platforms on the 21st. Nice. Way cool. So this, uh, if I'm not mistaken, is your first ever solo record. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. That's extremely exciting. It's called Provinces. And Max and I have been graciously allowed to have an advanced listening and it sounds fantastic it's Thank very you. cool uh so tell us about this record why did you make this like why why now is your solo uh, as your first solo record and uh what's the story behind um why you're making this um that's a multifaceted question uh, <laughs> uh, <Ooh>. I mean, <laughs> for for most of my my career i've always been um in bands as a collaborator um usually where all the pieces are, you know, all the members are, uh, contributing equally to composing and arranging, um, and all of the management stuff with the band. Uh, it wasn't until really just maybe a couple of years ago. Um, I, well, take that back. It's been longer than that. I've been working on solo acoustic drum improvisations for a long time, uh, different concepts and different approaches and I've actually been playing quite a few shows in Seattle uh playing solo. And during that time uh and also in my work with Bad Luck I've kind of been exploring uh these ideas of of drone in within rhythmic cycles in the drums and uh the kind of intricacies that can play out with with that approach. Um so it started with that, really. Um, kind of the foundation was just these solo improv pieces I was doing. And uh, a couple years ago, I was lucky enough to be one of the Artist, Tru- uh, Artist Trust fellows and got um, their fellowship, which I decided I would use, you know, part of the the funding to, to get myself a writing retreat and... Uh, decide how I wanted to write a record and put it out. Um, and since I already had these drum improvisations, I, I, uh, went and took about three weeks, um, just like to, I went up to Orcas Island Mm. and, um, where my, my parents have a house and like my, like the piano that I had in my childhood lives up there. So I went up there and just spent the entire time writing and practicing and, um, I ended up arranging all of the other arrangement that's on the record um, uh, to be arranged with the the solo drum improvisation. So that's kind of how it all came about. Um, 
musically uh, Very <laughs> artistically cool. yeah um i guess this is a pretty open-ended question but as a drummer I, i'm kind of curious um you're talking about rhythmic cycles right mm-hmm. um listening to this kind of reminds me a lot of certain types of electronic music in, in a way um in that there's a lot of um there's a kind of a, a groove or a pulse or a beat that people kind of get used to hearing and then things happen on top of, of it but you seem to have kind of flipped that on its head a little bit with this mm-hmm. and have kind of started playing with the uh almost like the opposite of that like the drums are kind of almost a melody on top of this other thing that's going on mm-hmm. and that's kind of they all it kind of develops it's really it's interesting i'm just curious how you've gone from playing jazz drums to to this i guess yeah no you don't have to go into too much detail i'm just kind of curious if there's like well uh, to answer the first part of your question about um really kind of the way that i'm approaching the drums in this is uh i'm really interested in um especially in in this music where it is very droney and very repetitive i'm interested in in how the the ear perceives even like the minutia of the changes whether it's intentional or or or, you know not intentional Mm. you can hear those things because um when you're hearing a a rhythmic cycle over and over and over again your ear acclimates to it and you kind of get used Mm -hmm. to the sounds and then when there's any amount of change uh your ear keys into that too and i'm i'm really interested in exploring how um kind of like just redefining the role of the drums as more of a lot melodic instrument um and uh just the the different kind of musical interests that can come of that uh, very cool yeah and then in terms of like you know how i came to that from from jazz i mean to me it, it you know it doesn't sound like jazz but it is it my background is is in jazz so like whatever i do is inspired by jazz vocabulary so and correct me if i'm wrong but it sounds like you're playing a jazz sized kit and by that i mean not something that neil pert would play so not like a 50 tom (laughs) 50 cymbal uh you know extravaganza but more like a a scaled down kit pretty basic just a few different drum sounds and cymbal sounds yeah yeah is that right yeah very, cool. very. I mean, you've played on my drums before. I have. <laughs> I, I like them a lot. I just wanted to make sure that's what you were playing on the record because that's what it sounded like. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm playing. It's um, very cool. Just my, just my like, like, '60s Ludwig. That it's very cool. Yeah. How many sounds you're able to get out of that? Just a few different bass uh, instruments. For, the, yeah. for those who don't really know drums too well, uh, like I think me. a lot of people. I think a lot of people <laughs> envision. They think of drums and they think of like a humongous drum set with all these cymbals and things, but. Most people don't realize that a, a jazz drum set, um, by most standards, is is pretty simple. It's just a snare drum, and a couple toms, and a bass drum, maybe a couple cymbals. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very cool. I'm a I'm a bit of a purist in that I really like to just play the play the drums, and and it's like very essential, like yeah, core. I agree. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I also like kind of stray away from doing a lot of. Um, uh, I don't know, just bringing other objects into it. And even like with symbols or, or um, like I've had the same symbols for like 15 years or something. And I've like never Whoa. changed that. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's interesting. And, um, and I basically use them for every setting that I play in, whether it's a jazz setting or, uh, or like a rock and pop setting. Like I just, 
is that a conscious choice or is that um, um, something that you just kind of never thought about changing or it's conscious in the sense that I know how to use what I have really well mm. and um, and it's I mean it's not I also just don't have a lot of money to buy a bunch of stuff, so I just kind of like I'm just gonna stick stick with what I got. Well, and, and in turn, it it probably makes you sound like you, to a certain extent, on whatever you're playing on too. I think so. so I yeah. think you know people are listening yeah. to a random, well, they're listening to music anywhere, and they hear your drum sounds. They'll probably if they really know the music, yeah, they might think, oh, that sounds like Chris Acasiano. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, cool. Well, we've talked a lot about the different kinds of drum sounds on this record, but there aren't just drum sounds on this record. I hear a lot of synthesizers and stuff, too. Mm -hmm. And I know you primarily as a drummer. I don't think I've ever seen you play anything else but drums. Uh, so tell, tell me about uh, yeah how you got into that and um, what uh, about the appearance of synthesizers on this record. Um, yeah, so... Uh... I I mean I've always I've always written music on piano um right. and you know keyboards and whatever um and when I was writing this record uh I mean like I said it kind of started out with the the drum the drums as kind of the foundational element mm -hmm. and I wrote a lot of the harmonic and melodic stuff on piano um I knew that when I went into the studio I wanted to do a bit of experimenting with sounds um, and my friend, uh, Trevor Spencer, who's got a studio out in Woodenville, um, he's got a lot of cool gear and part of the process, you know, was me, you know, asking Trevor like, Hey, like, I know you have a bunch of gear. Do you mind if, you know, part of this process is figuring out, you know, some of these sounds that are going to go on this record. So he was really mm -hmm. integral in like helping me, um, kind of sculpt some of the synthesizer sounds. Otherwise, cool. I know nothing about synthesizers. <laughs> I leave that up. <laughs> I leave that up to my uh my uh my keyboard playing friends to to do all that stuff, but uh I kind of had an idea of the sounds that I wanted and we just went from there. Cool. Yeah. So, let's kind of just shift uh, focus here for a second, but what's this record about? And um like why you know we talked about why you made it but what what is the you spent some time writing it mm -hmm. what did you come up with for kind of like a thesis behind why you're doing it this way well it's um <clears throat> it's actually very a very personal record i mean it being my first solo record you know it's the first time that i'm putting something out that is just you know re purely representative of me and um what it's about for me um, is really kind of uh, exploring and discovering uh, about my own cultural identity, um, which has for the for the last several years of my life like been kind of a focal point of like how I'm trying to spend a lot of my energy and spend my time and like connect with. Um, my family connect with more Filipino American community in Seattle, um, as well as tying that cultural connection to my music. Um, so kind of like in that, in the last few years, like I've been going through that process of really understanding myself. Um, and in the meantime, like I really started digging into doing some grant writing. Like I, I got mm. the, the artist trust fellowship, which was very, very meaningful for me because 
It was uh, just a moment where I felt like really acknowledged in the work that I do as a musician, but also as an organizer, um, an arts organizer, as, you know, just someone that participates in, in the music scene in Seattle. So that was a moment of like real validation um, where I was like, oh, I, I, what I have to offer is valuable. It's well-deserved. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And, um, and in the meantime, I was working on all these, uh, solo improvisations. And like, for me, you know, free improv is like really the way that I express myself, like the, in the most pure way. And, um, so it was kind of an amalgamation of all those things coming together, um, finding validation from, you know, organizations that are recognizing the work that I do, like my own, my own, like, you know, inward search of identity, um, and then the actual, like, making of the music, which is very mm -hmm. personal to me. So the way all of those things came together, like, really culminated in, in this record. Um, so that's that's really what it's about. Um, you know, music, I mean, obviously it's an instrumental record, so uh, those that narrative is not necessarily, like, apparent in the music, but, like, that's what it, that's what it means to me. Yeah. Um, and another another cool like tidbit is that uh I went to the Philippines last December uh twenty eighteen and for the first time. It was my first time ever going. Oh wow. And did um, you go by yourself or with, with family? I went with my partner and a couple of family members. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was um a really really challenging and really intense and really beautiful like experience and uh I kind of went with the idea that I was just going to take it all in and like just exist there. And uh, one of the one of the ideas that I got going over there, though, was to uh, take some field recordings. And mm. when we were there, uh, I got a lot of field recordings with the help of my uh, of my partner Jenny. Um, Field recordings of you know sounds of nature, like some city sounds, uh, sounds of just my family, you know, sitting down to eat dinner, like those <laughs> those kinds of things. That's awesome. And I was able to actually like in the mixing process incorporate some of those into uh, into the record itself, which felt very like meaningful to be able to take you know a sonic artifact from from the Philippines and like put it into put it into the into the art itself. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. And I feel like thematically for me, it like kind of ties it all together too. It's like totally this journey. And then, you know, after I just, I just turned 34, but after 33 years of not never going to the Philippines and not really feeling like I had any, uh, necessarily any access to going there, but finally making it happen and then being able to bring back, you know, field recordings to this project is, felt like it sounds came full like a circle really powerful experience yeah was that before or after you had the idea for this record uh was which part of the, uh, going the, trip? the trip to the yeah the the trip was after the record was already written oh nice. so actually i mean in the in the writing and recording process the the trip was already being planned and like i out. see i see okay and it wasn't in it wasn't until mixing after the trip that it all kind of came together in that way nice so you yeah. added the the sound bits kind of in mixing yeah yeah exactly nice yeah. very cool mm -hmm. cool 
So I'm really curious about uh, the recording process that you went through all of this. Um, you mentioned that you uh, worked with a studio up in Woodenville. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, like I said earlier, there's drums going on, synthesizers, and I'm kind of assuming you weren't playing all of those things at the same time because I <laughs> yeah. only see two hands attached to your body. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so how, how did you go about doing that? Did you record drums first and then layer on uh, uh, synthesizers in a multi-track way or something uh, else? Yeah, that, w that was the process, actually. Um, it was a little bit tricky because... Uh, um, well, I came into I came into the the recording process knowing uh, the elements that I wanted, like um, you know having all of the harmonic and melodic elements arranged, um, mm -hmm. knowing all of the things that were going to happen. So mm -hmm. the the tricky part was that instead of you know laying down a, a bass line to a click track, like my my foundational track was like an improvised you know drum track. Mm -hmm. Um, and I knew the, I knew the kind of trajectory that I wanted it to be. And in terms of how it all came together in a layered way was a little bit more, um, we had to figure it out a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but, but that is essentially how, uh, how it all happened is I went and did a couple passes of like, of a, of a drum improvisation, um, and then we kind of keyed into the moments where we wanted uh, the the synthesizers and other elements to to enter, and also um, how to yeah how the all the parts would would interlock. Um, and yeah, I feel like it was um, it was a really interesting process for me, uh, and I think resulted in in kind of a cool a cool sound that I, that I had not really, I didn't really expect, you know, it was very different from, uh, what I was thinking it was going to sound like. Um, but I, but I like it and it's different. That's <laughs> okay. awesome. Yeah. So this is a, a new thing, um, conceptually kind of pretty much around the world, I think. Um, were there things that you decided not to do in this process? I mean, obviously you had to pick which take to use for the, the bass and stuff, but were there any things you were thinking about doing that you maybe decided against hmm. somewhere along the line? Um, there were, yes, there were, there were a couple of, um, really it just, it came down to, to like the amount of content that I had and the amount of time that, mm -hmm. you know, that would, that a record would really allow. Um, and and also just kind of editing, you know, editing stuff out. Kind of editing stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's a there was a some extra material that we didn't record because I was just kind of feeling like it didn't really didn't really have a place in it or um, sections that I kind of cut out of my just in my brain in, in the editing process of like oh I don't know if that's really going to work. Um, mm. But yeah, I don't know. That's kind of, I feel like that's a, a fairly common trend for me to do, like, especially with my band, Bad Luck, um, with Neil Welch uh, mm -hmm. and I, uh, you know, we'll often bring in, or we have in the past often brought in, you know, fully fledged compositions that are all written out and we'll, we'll work, you know, it'll be, you know, four pages long or something of, of material and we'll work on it forever. And we'll kind of realize like the interesting part of the composition is maybe like 
six bars long in the first <laughs> section. So we just like axe everything and arrange everything around the yeah the really interesting parts. Mm, that's um, awesome. But yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the process that we do as a band, and like also, you know, I've taken that into into my own practice really. Cool. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a valuable thing for a lot of young musicians to hear sometimes. Yeah, what, because what they what maybe not to do or what to cut out sometimes. Yeah. I mean, just to 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 trust your trust your ear and trust the people that you play with um mm-hmm. and also just be humble in the fact that you're not writing brilliant stuff all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to cut it out. <laughs> so true. Yeah. Well, let's take a listen to a track here, or at least a piece of one. Cool. Yeah. Sound good? Sounds great. Cool. Okay. All right. Here's a chunk of the track called Provinces on the record Provinces. Yeah, this is the second, kind of the second movement. It sounds kind of like it kind of jumps in in the, in the middle of something, but it's the second movement of this piece. Okay, let's dive in headfirst.
That sounded wonderful. Uh, Chris, thank you for making such a beautiful piece of music. Thank you. I'm really, really excited that uh, you're exploring the things that you are, uh, like the meaning behind this this piece of music and really the whole record, I guess, um, with cultural identity. And Max and I were talking yesterday while we were preparing for this episode that uh, about the Charlie Porter record, uh, which we featured on an episode, I think maybe two months two ago, months ago, something yeah. like that, where he talked about um, uh, identity and process, what well, like life as an immigrant and what that looks like and the immigration process. And also mm-hmm. the record that I personally put out in September, also exploring cultural identity. It's interesting to see more people making art and music about that and yeah it's cool this really really cool to see this iteration here yeah thank you yeah Yeah, i feel like um uh i feel i mean immigrant experience is so vastly diverse and complicated for sure and um i know that for for me being second generation like a lot of my my life has been spent kind of trying to figure out where i fit in Mm -hmm. um and having found those places, also realizing that there are a lot of ways that I don't fit in in those places. And, um, the, you know, the, to be able to do a record like this was really, really important for me to to help me carve out my space and um, and to just kind of make a statement of like, this, this is who I am and where I am. And like... Uh, and just let that be okay and and what it is as opposed to trying to fit in in all of these different spaces that i that i don't really fit in to um absolutely or have felt discomfort in you know i mean not that i don't fit in in spaces but uh i think we all immigrant people or and children of immigrants like are all kind of trying to carve it out like where do i belong for sure yeah yeah uh that what you said definitely really resonates and yeah that's yeah really really cool because i mean even also going to like going to the when i went to the philippines it was like this feels amazing like everyone looks like me everyone like you know eats the same food and like Mm -hmm. i notice like my own uh mannerisms or like things like coming from like seeing people do the same thing but at the same time when i was in the philippines like i was very clearly a foreigner Mm -hmm. um and i didn't quite fit in there necessarily so uh, there is a bit of this uh, existential crisis of like, well, if I don't fit in at home and I don't fit in it in my, you know, my country of like uh, origin, right? then like, where do I fit? Yeah. There's this concept in, uh, I think, I don't remember where I heard it, um, but called uh, third culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of this concept before where um, the first culture might be... Mm, the culture that you're born out of and the second culture might be the one that you're surrounded by on a day-to-day basis and mm-hmm. for especially second generation but also the other generations of immigrants yeah. um, experience a what what's called a third culture where you're no not really part of the first not really part of the second but mm-hmm. you somehow live in between which uh, I'm not Filipino American and uh, you're not Chinese American mm-hmm. like I am uh, but I feel like there is a common experience of uh, being stuck in the middle somewhere. Yeah. And so, yeah, that yeah, absolutely. everything you're saying uh, makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Hmm. What do you think, Max? 
mean, it's been a few generations since my family immigrated here, so I don't have necessarily the same yeah. uh, context. So yeah. I, I can't. I don't have too much to add. Yeah. It's very interesting to hear what you guys are saying, though. Yeah. Cool. So I'm sure our listeners will be very excited to hear uh, that this work will be performed live coming up pretty soon. Mm -hmm. And that's February 29th at the Wing Luke Museum in the International District. Yes. And the Wing Luke Museum is a museum and not one of the tried and true jazz venues in town. Mm -hmm. Why did you pick this uh, as a venue to present this work at? Well, the Wing Luke Museum... uh is the Asian American Museum in Seattle. And uh, I've spent a lot of time there just as a member and like bringing folks there. Um, and I was always just really inspired by what I, what I found there and really moved by it, like walking into that space where uh, that was a space where, where I felt like, oh, these stories are like, I see myself in these stories. Um, and when it came to deciding, you know, how I wanted to put out the record and where I wanted to do it, um, it was a, it was a bit of a challenge for me to, to, to really figure, figure it out. Um, because I am connected with a lot of, with venues and like know people there and like, it would be relatively easy to, to, you know, to book in, in a, in a, in a music venue. Um, this option was a bit more of a challenge, um, and I wanted to do it because I felt like the the music, like the mission of the museum, um, you know, fits into what I was wanting to do with this record. Um, I wanting to, you know, the record being about cultural identity and Asian American experience, and um, I want yeah I just wanted it to be be in the space that that fosters that uh that kind of art and that energy. So it feels amazing to to have the opportunity to do it and they've been um so wonderful and gracious there in in working with me to help put the show together because it was no it's no simple task mm-hmm. um with uh with a space that isn't set up for for live music right you know? so um so part, you know, some of the big logistical challenges were uh, were just making sure that the space has all the things that it needs to have a music performance and, and all the other things that go into having a nice concert experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, it sounds like a great venue for that. Yeah. Um, how exactly are you going to perform this as a solo drummer? That's a very good question. (laughs) I would love and, to hear uh, a very good answer to this. I'm extremely curious. You know, the, uh, I am the, for the, this performance. I'm actually performing with a band. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm going to have uh, Tomo Nakayama, who is a great friend and really incredible songwriter. He's going to be playing all the keyboard parts. Cool. Um, Alina Toe will be playing um, violin um, amplified, and Lori Goldston will be playing cello um, also Whoa. amplified. <laughs> so I'm hoping with um, the three of those elements, uh, we can kind of like emulate, um, some of the synth sounds and just the depth of the sound. Um, but in terms of like, yeah, performing, I was, I was a little, uh, I wasn't sure exactly how I wanted to do it. And especially like if I, 
if I'm going to go on tour and do some solo touring, which I do intend to do, mm. um, you know, how I'm going to go about performing the music. So part of me is thinking, you know, bring a band, which is challenging, bring a band on tour, which is challenging, um, yes. for a lot of reasons, <laughs> uh, uh, perform it solo and try to emulate all of the arranged parts with, you know, maybe like a uh, sample pad, like triggers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, or really just continue digging into like the solo acoustic uh, performances that I've been doing, which I also think are very compelling. And like, I, I like doing them a lot. Um, and uh, I think kind of have, have their own interest, you know, on their mm-hmm. own and just let the, let the record kind of be, a, a different a different iteration of it um and yeah that's a bit of a, a negotiation that i have to like figure out how you know how and what i'm gonna do but for this show i will have a band and i'm very excited because they're all incredible musicians and very close friends very cool yeah, yeah it was it seems like you could almost if you wanted to be okay with maybe changing how it sounds from performance to performance you might set up some kind of like light cue mm-hmm. for when the the timbres change or the sections might change so when it starts to get near a section change um i don't know it was just a thought i had yeah i haven't <clears> thought about like diff- the different uh letting electronics play out on their own and then visually uh-huh. seeing when those are about to kind of shift gears yeah and yeah i, I think there's there's actually a lot of options and in, yeah. in, a, in a performative uh way i am interested in like lighting and like you know putting on a on a show and like that could be of similar but different interests oh i was just thinking like a cue light but oh. you could totally do a light show oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i mean that's awesome it's all the they're all all the ideas are like floating through my brain of like how to how to do this that's so cool this, yeah. that's just one idea i've had because i've actually thought about doing a solo drum project at, as well hmm. at some point and that was one of the things i was thinking about doing yeah. It's just having like a, a small light kind of cue whenever the electronic maybe backing or, or whatever was about to kind of change. Mm-hmm. The um, I've definitely thought about that uh, of like, you know, playing to a track, like having a cue like that. What uh, what I get hung up on is the fact that I when I'm performing, I don't want to be like beholden to kind of limited. To, by yeah, the, yeah, I just want to like play and i want to yeah, play how i exactly. feel and like um so there's that that aspect of it too like um and especially if i'm improvising you know it's just like i want it to be not feel like i'm confined by like a time restraint you want to be tethered yeah yeah but i think that there is um opportunity in being able to trigger stuff you know so i can yeah. just trigger it when i want to yep. when it feels right um but yeah i don't know <laughs> <laughs> it's a brand new world yeah Cool. Well, let's change gears um, again. I want to hear about the album art and the poster art that you have because it's yeah. gorgeous. Oh, thank Who you. Who did it? Well, <laughs> um, the so the the images like the photography in there are mine. I took cool. the photos wow. in the Philippines, but the but the treatment and the design is actually um, Andrew Swanson, mm-hmm. who. Um, is a name I haven't heard in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's still doing stuff. Um, mostly in the design world. He used to be like you know we met each other as musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, played together in many many bands. He played um, saxophone. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's since kind of like been really developing his his design chops, and he's like really incredible. But he mm. he and I have worked together on a lot of things 
in the past, including, you know, some of the bad luck records and, and other things that I've been on. And he's someone that I, that I really trust in terms of design and aesthetic. And, um, so he put, he made it look beautiful. Mm. Um, but yeah, the image, yeah, I, I really, he also made my like really terrible photographs, like look very cool, <laughs> which is nice. Um, like there's there's one like the poster that just came out is um is actually this Filipino dish called sinigang which is like uh like a sour soup mm. and mm. um I took this photo of it in the Philippines because there was a giant fish head in it and I just loved Whoa. the way it looked oh, and fish head is so good oh yeah <laughs> and uh and I was like that's like uh that needs to I, the image I was like, first of all, I was like, I'm going to get a tattoo of that image because it's like, it feels so cool. Um, but then, yeah, I made it onto the, onto the album art, but, uh, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. That's awesome. For, for this kind of record, or I guess in general, um, what do you practice as a musician, I, I suppose? Um, well, a lot of, I mean, a lot of the work, like I, like I said, like has kind of been developed over several years mm -hmm. um like, the, do you practice Im improvising do you practice technique like uh, specifically on the drums yeah this is a very different thing than most people think of when they think of, of drumming uh-huh so i'm just curious like what you well i've spent practice a, yeah i've spent a you know a lot of time in fact most of my time practicing these days is practicing improvising cool um and <clears throat> With the you know with the drum parts, there is a lot of improvisation in it, but there are like very, uh, very meticulously like kind of through composed elements as well, mm -hmm. um, and that is really uh, that's kind of come to me from playing in Bad Luck actually for a long time. Like mm. with in that band, Neil and I have kind of developed a really um, unique language like between the two of us that that involved different kind of extended techniques on the drums whether it you know just playing playing the drums in a in an unconventional kind of way totally and that is kind of the foundation for um for how i wrote these things and it, it, like really what it comes down to is just kind of repetitive patterns um that can be you know short little phrases or they can be really long phrases um and the way that I organize them on this record is, you know, I want them to sit for a long time and then I want them to change in, in, in subtle ways. Uh, and, you know, which has the effect of, especially when you're listening to something for a long time, kind of has, a, you know, the effect of like something monumental changing. Right. You know, when, you, <clears throat> when you're stuck on one thing for a long time and you hear a change. Um, the beat drop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, if if you listen, you know, listen to the record. Really, it's a, like a lot of just kind of like weird sticking patterns that like move around the drums. Mm -hmm. um, and so those, like, those are kind of acrobatic in and of themselves. So I like had to like spend a lot of time just doing that really slow. And mm. uh, I noticed there was one point in uh, I forget which track, but the hi hat became very obvious there, mm, there were just mm -hmm. two hits per cycle mm -hmm. and suddenly it seemed like the whole focus of the drums had shifted from this r rolling rumbling drum pattern to like the placement of these two hi-hats yeah, yeah i thought yeah. that was really interesting yeah 
yeah. and that's um yeah thanks for noticing that i mean that's mm-hmm. like that's one of the very intentional yeah uh like moments cool. of that piece yeah what i really what i think is really interesting actually in live performance um of some of this music is that the experience kind of changes from person to person hmm. uh it also changes depending on where you are standing in the room like where you're hearing the the reverberance of the room like where yeah. how you're hearing the drums like sometimes uh like that moment hits me too like where the hi-hat kind of pops out yeah it's awesome <laughs> um but there are times when like depending if i'm listening in my car or if i'm listening on another thing like there's mm. a different part of the the pattern that will pop out and not the hi-hat necessarily yeah. um and i think that's all the really a really cool aspect of the live performance is that the experience is different for everyone uh kind of just on how they're interpreting it um, definitely based on how i'm playing it too but like it's kind of just a, a sonic phenomenon of like what you're hearing when and why it happens to stick out when it does yeah that's really really yeah. cool yeah so what else are you working on uh this record is coming out pretty soon but i'm sure you've got other uh pots on the stove that are cooking yeah this this is um this is kind of the main focus mm-hmm. um you know i'm in in my band bad luck you know we're working on some new music as well cool. which has been uh really fun you know neil and i've been playing together for like 12 years or something so wow yeah it's been fun to <laughs> to continually like be challenging ourselves to work on to work on new things and, and approach the duo the way we have it organized like in different ways um i kind of have uh you know the the really interesting project that is in the in the distant future for me is um working on well I I have known that my great grandfather um, in the Philippines was a musician, mm. and like was a band leader, and it wasn't until this last October when a a, uh, a family member posted a photo of of him as like a young man in Whoa. like a suit like <clears throat> in a on the bandstand with with a band, and I saw this photo and I was like, whoa, that like there's this connection is like really deep, like yeah. this musical connection is really deep. What did he play? He, that was my question. He played, you know, in that photo, he was holding a violin, uh, but he's also he was also a percussionist. He was kind of like a multi-instrumentalist. Wow. Whoa, cool. Um, what I have also found is that uh, I found out that he has written compositions that exist. What? Um, I'm not entirely sure where they are. That's what, like, I think they're, they are in the Philippines, and I um, I need to connect with some family members to like try to get my hands on these yeah. things because <laughs> this is uh it's kind of my next uh my next thing is i want to dig into that dig into more family history dig into like his music imagine how it might have sounded like when he was playing it with like the instrumentation that i see in photographs oh, yeah. also like how i might interpret it myself like today i was gonna say that could be a really cool like part two record yeah maybe to this project even. yeah so that's kind of um that's ca- that's just uh that's newly newly in in the works i'm just nice. starting to think about it that's but, really exciting yeah. it will be uh i'm really looking forward to hearing what comes of this yeah yeah me too cool so your band bad luck is amazing this project <laughs> is awesome <laughs> thank you um where can people go hear you if they want to come hear you play any of the things we've talked about or other things 
Um, I mean, well, we have a CD release concert coming up, right? Yeah, the show's on February 29th, Leap right. Day, so you can't forget it. You can't forget <laughs> it. Um, oh, gosh, I don't know. I, uh, I That's play... it, Wayne Luke. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we also have, I don't know when this is going live, but um, yeah, Neil and I, Bad Luck, we play fairly regularly, at least you know once or twice a month um, in and around the city. We have one on the 11th coming up at the Royal Room. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I play in a number of other bands that are also not jazz related. I play in, I play with Tomo Nakayama's band, which is more of like a folk rock band. And I play in a band called Ings, which is, mm-hmm. um, Ings likes to describe it as lullaby rock. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I play in a pop band called Pure Bathing Culture, which is like a dream pop band out of Portland. So I'm, I kind of get around as much as I can. <laughs> so do you have a website that people can look up if I do. they want to find your calendar? Yes. It's chrisicassiano.com. Awesome. That's, uh, Icassiano is I-C-A-S-I-A-N-O. Cool. And a link to that will be in the description of the podcast episode today. Awesome. Uh, so thank you so much for hanging out with us today, Chris. And for all of you listeners, thank you for listening. Uh, if you're interested in finding out more episodes like this, you can look up Jazz Talk Seattle on any podcast app, Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, what have you. And uh, you can also find us on Facebook. Just look up Jazz Talk Seattle and you can find out more news on when new episodes are coming out. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, you guys.